0: Well, I am Patrick Schwenk, and I am so thankful that you are listening in with me today at Root Like Faith. It is our deepest desire to encourage and equip men and women to be rooted in God's word, transformed by the love of Jesus, and moved by his mission in the power of the Holy Spirit. Nothing is more important. Well, today I'm really excited because we have another special guest. His name is David Wade. David and his wife, Candace, moved to Ann Arbor about three years ago so David could study creative writing at the University of Michigan. And he and his wife, Candace, have been dear friends and are really important leaders in our church and have been really important leaders in our church over the past three years. And so we're gonna be talking about living on mission wherever we are. And so I can't wait to share today's episode with you and introduce you to David. And so let's get started. Well, David Wade earned his MFA from the Helen Zell Writers Program at University of Michigan, where he won a Hopwood Award for Best Novel. His fiction has appeared in Kenyan Review Online and Qualley Journal. His nonfiction has been published in Brevity, and he currently studies theology at Fuller Theological Seminary. And you can find him online at K. David Wade. And so, David, welcome to Root Like Faith.
1: Hey, thank you, man. Thanks for having
0: me. Well, I should just say right up front, you you are um, way more than just a guest uh, on the podcast today. You and your wife, Candice, have been dear friends over the last three years, and uh, we just love you guys, and you have been uh, such a blessing to us, to our family personally. In fact, just 15, literally 15 minutes ago, uh, your wife, Candace dropped off a surprise birthday present for our oh, daughter, hey. Bella, who just turned 16. <laughs> and so we love you guys, and, um, and we're so grateful for what you've meant to us personally, to our family, and you have played such an important role, both you and Candice, uh, in our church. Over the last three years, you have preached a lot for me, uh, especially as I was going through uh, cancer treatment, and you have just continued to be such an important voice uh, in our in our community, in our church, and so just grateful for you. I, I remember the first time you, you moved, I believe, to Ann Arbor in, what, July um, of 2017, is that correct? Yeah, that's right. So you guys moved to Ann Arbor. I know you were coming to, uh, to for grad school at the University of Michigan to study creative writing. And I remember you guys, the, the first Sunday you guys came uh, to Refuge. It was Refuge Church, our church plan. Of course, it's now the Refuge Campus of Grace Bible Church in Ann Arbor now. But I remember you guys coming. And not long after that, Ruth and I grabbing coffee with you guys at Ruse Roast Coffee, yeah, in, in Ann Arbor. And we just were so impressed with you guys. I mean, just your love for Jesus, your love for the church, your desire to live on mission. And I just remember getting in the car and telling Ruth like this is just a unique couple. Um, and you guys are you just have a wisdom and a maturity that is well beyond your years. And I remember thinking there's no way they're going to come back to our church. And yet you did. (laughs) And yet you guys did. And as you guys um, continued to come back, you began to attract other people and gather people and influence people. In in a lot of cases, people that were far from Jesus, some people that were unchurched, maybe people that were de-churched. And so since the time that we first met you, you guys have really modeled what it looks like to not only be rooted in your faith, but really be rooted in mission and to live on mission wherever you are. And so we're going to be talking more about that um, as we uh, continue our conversation. But I'd love for you just I to share you just your share. story just about how, how you met Jesus um, or how Jesus found you.
1: Yeah, well, I, uh, I appreciate that and those those kind words. I remember Ruse Roast and thinking, I probably talked their ears off so much. <laughs> and they're like, what is wrong with these people? Um, but yeah, we love you guys so much as well. And your family has just been Awesome, and it's been awesome to see you guys be a family. It's been something that's super encouraging to us. Um, a little bit about my my story about coming to Jesus. You know, I got saved and baptized uh, in a little church when I was like 11 years old, so I was young. Um, kind of grew up in a black Baptist church in my hometown of Washington, Pennsylvania, uh, but I really kind of lost my faith a few years later as I entered. Um, maturity, high school era, like 14, 15. And I can't even say lost my faith because I really still believed in God and I only knew Jesus as God. But I would say I entered a real prodigal season. Um, My parents were drug addicts when I was a kid and I grew up in a lot of poverty and uncertainty and violence. And even though I was kind of always a good kid, a smart kid, when I grew older and kind of into my, my manhood body, you know, um, a lot of that anger, just a lot of that sadness and pain and stuff manifested as anger. Mm-hmm. Um, and I actually got involved in the street life. I was uh, selling drugs and I actually dropped out of high school, which even thinking about it now is so uh, <laughs> hard to believe. I don't know, it's like, how did that happen? Uh, only for a few weeks. Um, and then I have an aunt who has been a Christian, you know, my whole life uh, since she was young and actually moved in with her um, near Columbus, Ohio. She helped me out my junior and senior year, uh, put me through a private Christian school, and I was Mm -hmm. basically on the right track then, but I was still kind of, you know, even though I wasn't as violent or doing some of the sins, I was still doing other sins, um, just living a really worldly way. But through that uh, experience living with my aunt, I got a scholarship um, to NYU. And I got a full ride basically to New York University for screenwriting. And it was while I was at college actually, my freshman year, that I really encountered Jesus in a way that would say, okay, I'm gonna follow this this man for the rest of my life. Mm-hmm. Um, around April, I guess, of 2010, so the end of my freshman year, uh, I did psychedelics uh, mushrooms for the first time. And that night I had a real kind of make or break moment where I was definitely hallucinating. Uh, I was hearing voices and, and really the devil and demonic voices trying to tell me to drown myself in a river and to mm-hmm. kill myself. Um, But on the flip side, every Bible verse I had ever heard uh, or read uh, was coming to my mind. And I just kept saying the name of Jesus, the name of Jesus. And so at the end of that trip that night, uh, I knew two things. A, I was hallucinating and B, something very real had happened. Uh, Jesus saved my life. And so the next day I just started reading the Bible uh, and said, okay, I was always quote, unquote, a Christian, a nominal Christian, but what do I actually believe? Um, And I kind of I mean, you know, I'm a voracious word guy. And so I spent that (laughs) summer uh, just really digging into the word and pretty much read the whole Bible. And uh, near the end of that summer, I actually had a a crossroads where I was at. um, There were some opportunities for music and some career things that I was really interested in that time that really contradicted Uh, What I felt was my call to faith in that moment. And I've been recording this album in a multi million dollar studio. And I really just felt the Holy Spirit speak to me and say, uh, What are you doing? Um, You know, before you had acted in ignorance and I gave you grace, but now you know the truth because I just spent months and months not only reading the word, but I was like, Yeah, I'm convinced by this. Like, this is what I need, my family needs, everybody needs this. Uh, but I kind of didn't want to give up that old life for, for many reasons. And, uh, God really confronted me in that moment and said, it's, it's black or white now, you know? Yeah. Um, and I literally, I mean, I basically ran out of the booth. I had one Christian friend at the time called him and said, Hey man, I want to give my life to Jesus. You know? I'm <laughs> like, What do I do? And so he, he Googled uh, the sinner's prayer.
0: and uh, <laughs> Thank goodness for Google.
1: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> The evangelistic side of Google. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> so, yeah, man, I think that's uh, that's pretty much, that's it. And then I had a, a lot of trials and, and hard uh, letting goes, but um, I never experienced intimacy, love, or joy Uh like I had in that moment and in the preceding months of just
0: that that relationship with Jesus as it began to blossom and flourish. Yeah, I love that. You know, th- this is obviously not the first time I've heard your story, your testimony. And, and so for most people that are listening, it, it will be the first time. But every time I hear it, I just am blown away. Uh, again, mm-hmm. I feel like I'm hearing it again for the first time. And I just, I rejoice with just God's goodness and his grace and, and, you know, just the way God pursues us and he's looking for us sometimes when we're not even yet looking for him. And there's so many parts of your story that I love. I mean, just talking about, you know, the different people, your, your aunt in particular, mm-hmm. um, and, and, you know, just think about the the different people that God places in our lives that, that are, yeah. that he uses. Um, and, and your aunt was one of them. Um, I think about the power of God's word and, and how God's mm-hmm. word had been planted in mm-hmm. you and and yet at the right time and in the right way, God brought those those seeds uh, to fruition, yeah. use them in powerful ways. And I, I know you you are, are a man that loves God's word and and um, and and continues uh, to just devour God's word. And, and I just love that that part, hearing that part of your story again. Um, and, and that was in New York was when 2000. You said 2010 ish.
1: Yeah, you that's were there. right.
0: And, yeah, and so. Obviously there were a lot of years between then and, and the time you came to Ann Arbor. So just really quickly, like like what did your story look like between those years? I mean, you were a part, I know you were a part of, of some some different churches and God just used different different people in your life during that time period and different church experiences or even expressions to continue shaping you and discipling you and rooting in your faith. So just really quickly, like what did that part of the journey look like from Yeah,
1: absolutely. Um, I actually been, you know, I initially when I first uh, got saved in uh, 2010, I joined a group called InterVarsity um, MEF, Multi-Ethnic Fellowship mm-hmm. uh, at NYU. And I've actually been recently talking to a lot of friends about how spoiled we were uh, in light of everything that's happening because yeah. it was just yeah. like this beautiful Uh, diversity. I mean, people from many nations and and backgrounds just all worshiping Jesus together. So that was really foundational for me, as well as uh, a very small reformed church that I went to um, in Manhattan. Like, I mean, there were probably 20 to 30 people there max, but it had been around forever. And um, the guy who discipled me there, uh, a good friend of mine, he's a pastor He just really helped me increase that love of of God's word. Um, And so while I was adopted into this new family or community, it was really hard in the other sense because a lot of my old friends thought I was crazy and and I was kind of outcast from the kind of in crowd at NYU in a lot of ways. Um, But, you know, God, he he's since a given me even deeper relationships uh, with some friends from that season and b he's healed a lot of those, uh, not all, but a lot of those things uh, where there were broken relationships um, during that time. And so from there, I went on to like a house church movement um, in Pennsylvania. I actually apprenticed a pastor for a year. So I took a year off of college and I was going to go back after apprenticing the pastor um, Brad, who you know, yep. and, yeah. but then I met my now wife, Candace. And, you know, I had to, I had to work for that. I was, I'm not <laughs> anywhere, but, uh, she was in college. And so I, uh, I took a job and pursued her and we actually got married between her junior and senior year of college. Then I went back to school, um, in Pittsburgh after she graduated. And during that time, it was even an interesting season of just working three jobs, uh, but trying to, you know, finish my education and be married, um, and that's what led to the MFA program at Michigan, uh, where I where I met you guys pretty soon after we yeah. moved
0: here. Yep, yeah. You, for those of us, for those of you that are listening and, and want to hear David preach, go to therefugechurch.org, or go to gracea2.org um, in the in the coming uh, months, and you'll be able to hear some of those messages. And you you taught for me a lot. You were an incredibly uh, gifted communicator, teacher, incredibly gifted writer. And so, I want to encourage beyond this podcast for those that that want to hear more of your story and just more of, of you teaching uh, God's word to to visit our our local churches' websites uh, to hear uh, to hear David uh, teach. And so, um, thank you for sharing that that part of your story as well. Yeah. We're we're so grateful for for you guys for God leading you, um, you know, to to Ann Arbor and. And um, it just has been such a uh, you, you played such an important role in not only in teaching, but also uh, living on mission and helping other people live on mission. You, you've led a home group. You and Candice have led a home group for us and really have embedded yourself. There's a lot of uh, grad students that that come to the University of Michigan and they know they're here for a year. They know they're here for three years. Maybe they're doing Ph.D. work. And it's easy, I think, in that season to go, wow, we're just here. And we're going to mm. be gone. And you guys have not done that. And you guys have embedded yourself in in the church. You've led. You've served. And you've said, "God, this is where you have us right now. You have us here for a reason." And so we want to use this time, like to live on mission and and use it for your glory to reach those people that are around us that don't know you. And so you guys are just to be, I, I think, commended for that. I think that that other people that have watched you. Um, have just been impressed by that as well, as you know, when we first started refuge, uh, you know one of our core values was going and not just gathering and, and what we meant yeah. by that was that we wanted everybody to see themselves, every follower of Jesus as a missionary and to mm-hmm. take the posture of a missionary and to see themselves as as sent ones. And so, from the very beginning, we we attempted to really kind of cultivate that that culture at refuge, where we wanted every follower of Jesus to really see themselves as somebody who's been sent out by Jesus, you know, called to be a missionary in their apartment complex or dorm facility or their neighborhood or workplace. And so I, yeah. I want you to just kind of speak to that. Where do you see that perspective mm. in the scriptures? And, and why do you think it's so important for us? As a church, as, as a follower of Jesus, to recapture that heart and vision, especially in the days that we're living in?
1: Yeah, that's a really great question. Um, I, you know, we often think of sending uh missions as going somewhere foreign, right? Where yep. people have never heard the gospel, or it's not a you know a Western culture that has is steeped in Christian history. And um, that's crucial. I mean, I, I really stand with John Piper. I think he said the most, the best, most simple thing about this, which is there's only three options uh, for Christian missions: go, send, or disobey. You know, and so that's yeah, just like we, we try to take that seriously. Um, that said, I think in the American church, or maybe just Western culture in general, places where we're used to Christianity, um, we we don't imagine our, our imagination is shrunk in a way, and we don't think. Uh, being sent exactly where we are. Um, we don't think that there's a mission field in our next door neighbor or a local coffee shop or in our university or, or workplace. Um, and I just think that's so, that's just not how Jesus saw things. You know, yep. uh, we, we often think of Jesus eating and drinking with sinners, right? So in Mark chapter two, he talks about this. He's hanging out with the tax collectors and the prostitutes. Like those were the people that he chose to associate himself with. And the Pharisees and the religious people actually had a, a big, um, problem with that. And so I think a part of it is us getting comfortable hanging out with those who are quote unquote unholy. Um, I think there's just something about if we're churchianity as opposed to Christianity in which we're more comfortable around our own than those who are potentially lost. But uh, Jesus told the Pharisees that came for him whenever he was hanging out with the quote unquote sinner. I mean, he called them sinners, right? So these are people who are far from God, uh, but he said, hey, I came for the sick, You know, I didn't come for the healthy. Yeah. Uh, and so I think that as a core perspective is, is really important. And the other thing I'll say uh, is I actually had, I was grounded in my time in Pennsylvania, um, and, and just elsewhere in some really great teaching out of Ephesians 4, uh, in which Paul talks about, you know, the goal of teachers, prophets, shepherds, evangelists, and so forth, is not to get people into a building per se. Like we need to fellowship and gather, but it's actually the role of these leaders is to equip believers to do ministry in the streets. Yeah. It's for them to help other people go it's to to learn how to teach and shepherd and you know what I mean, evangelize and take that into our neighborhoods, the marketplace, our local coffee shop, whatever whatever that looks like for our context, even our home. Say if you're a stay at home parent. Um, yeah. So I think it's really crucial that we reclaim and reteach this idea of living as sent where you are. And I think that starts with leaders of congregations empowering churchgoers to be the house of God outside of the house of God.
0: Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah, it sure does. Yeah, I, I love that. And that that is such a a shift for some people, you know, in perspective yeah. where, you know, I, I know years ago, um, uh, the sort of the categories that that, you know, people were talking in was really the you know the difference between attractional ministry versus incarnational ministry and that that's mm-hmm. probably language that that you know a lot of people are, are familiar with today. but I remember hearing that for the first time, you know maybe fifteen years ago, if that uh, and yeah. maybe it was sooner than that. and that was such a shift for me and and of course, you know attractional ministry has really been the the form of of church, uh, here in the West for a lot of years where, you know, we, we build a, a really good service. We, we put on a really good program mm-hmm. and then we, um, hope to attract people to that service. And, and of course there's, yeah. there's a part of that that is good and, and necessary. We don't want to diminish you know, the gathering together, the corporate gathering of God's people. But when that's all that, that it is, um, we, we are, um, you know, underemphasizing the, the role of being incarnational or sent ones. And so attractional ministry really focuses on that idea of building a program and uh, having a really good speaker and the best music in town, you know, yeah. you know those kinds of things. And just hoping that's going to attract our non-Christian neighbors or coworkers. Where incarnational ministry, you know, it takes that language from, from the theology that, that God took on flesh and he came. Yes. To us, and he wrapped himself um, in flesh. He dwelled among us. He he came to us, and so that idea of incarnational ministry is that we're not going to wait for people to come and see. We're gonna we're gonna go and be, and mm-hmm. so we're gonna go live as missionaries. We're we're gonna be good neighbors, good co-workers, good friends, and. We're going to take the love of Jesus wherever it is that, that we go. And so I think that's really what you're talking about is is recapturing that vision, that perspective for more incarnational ministry um, in the time that we're living in. So I, I love that. Um, I think that that is so important. It's so necessary. And you know, I, I think for a lot of folks, uh, I just think about the, the different ways that that that's possible. I know that just even saying that, um, can sound really scary for people. Like it's just a lot easier. Like it's hard enough to invite a non-Christian neighbor to come to church. Yeah. Um, It's even more intimidating to now like to go try to be a missionary, uh, to your, to your non-Christian neighbor, somebody who's, who's far from Jesus. And so I think there's a lot of followers of Jesus who, who want to do that. They, they're all for that, but that sounds so intimidating and scary. And yeah. so I want you to just, just kind of share some of the ways that that maybe you and Candace have done that over the years and just some really practical ways for those that are listening that say, yeah, i'm I'm with you. i I believe that's that's God's heart for the church. Um, but but, what does that look like practically for us? What are some simple ways that we can do that? And I know it's it is uncomfortable. it, it it's risky. Uh, it it's challenging, and we have to resist that and fight against that. but but also, sometimes we just make that harder than it really is. Yeah,
1: well, that's just a great point. Um, I love the incarnational language, and I do think that it's valid that people have fear. Uh, but I think it's really interesting that the first thing the resurrected Jesus commanded us is do not fear. That's his yeah. first actual commandment to, to the church. Um, and so I think that whenever we act and there is still fear, but we choose to act anyways or obey or follow a commandment kind of across the board or or broadly speaking, that's when we see some of the most divine, miraculous, Holy Spirit, wonderful stuff um, in our own life and and in evangelism. And so um, for those who are trying to figure out how to live sent where they are, who are trying to be on mission, I just kind of thought of three things. Um, This isn't the end all be all, but... These are some practical things that have helped Candace and I, and hopefully it will be of use to you as well. And the first one actually comes from uh, an old kind of like spiritual grandfather of mine, a man named Jim Erb, who is now with Jesus. And he used to do this teaching, uh, go park your ark in the dark and bark uh, with <laughs> Definitely from another generation, yes. all stuck with me, uh, right? So what does that mean? Go park your ark in the dark and bark. The ark, he's referring to the ark of the covenant, the presence of Jesus. And we as believers now are the spirit. We carry the spirit of God with us wherever we go. And so he's saying, hey, go into somewhere that is dark and be intentionally be the presence and power of God, right? Yes. Uh, yeah. Go. And so that might, that sounds intimidating, but what does that look like practically? Well, it could look like becoming a regular at a local coffee shop. Uh, it could become going to the same skate park all the time or taking your kids to the same skate park or joining a book club if you're in the literature or yeah. maybe yeah. even if you're a homeschool parent, your your family, uh, your children's co-op, right? If it's a not a Christian one, but maybe it's like a classical or wherever that yeah. looks like, whatever your wherever your hobbies or daily routine intersect with people who don't know Jesus, uh, just try to make that a regular rhythm and be the presence and power of God there. Get to know people's names, your barista's names, your neighbor's names. And I know, Pat, you guys are really good. I'm always jealous. I'm like, how do you know every single person in Ypsilanti's name? Um, <laughs> but, uh, in, uh, in a way that that kind of looked for me, even here at this uh, program... Uh, the MFA program that I just completed at U of M, um, I would just go after workshop on Wednesday nights. Everybody would kind of go out to a bar for a drink and just hang out and debrief the session. And obviously you don't have to drink or get drunk or whatever, but just being there, hanging out with the people in the program on their turf Um Oh. actually created the the proximity, created the opportunity for some of the most powerful moments I've had. I remember yeah. Yeah. Uh, giving people a ride home who were less than sober one day after this. <laughs> and uh, me and the last person in the car she said, hey you're you're a Christian, aren't you? And I I was like, oh, I'm caught, you know, but like, I'm not trying to hide anything. But I was like, "Uh, yeah, I am. And then she invited me to pray for her about something Mm. deep that was going on in her life. And that was the opposite of what I expected. But I think that that's what proximity creates. It's those opportunities um, to either create a power, love or truth encounter with Jesus. Um, The second thing I'll say is, you know, get it, be a net and not a fishing pole. Mm. Uh, That is maybe counterintuitive, but there's there's no such thing as Lone Ranger Christianity, you know? Yep. Um, in Matthew 4, uh, chap- chapter four, verses 18 through 22, when Jesus is calling his disciples, he calls two sets of brothers. The first are casting nets, and the second is uh, they're mending nets. Um, and I think, We get into trouble, especially when we try to go and be light in dark places, when we try to do it by ourselves. Um, You need a team. You know, you need people to not only hold you accountable, but to see what you can't see, to use gifts that you don't have. Um, And you're you're catching fish, so to speak, uh, as a group, as a net. Um, And I think there's just safety in that, um, whether that's just two to three other people that are like-minded, that you trust. Um, That's always been something that's been super fruitful for us. So for example, when I lived in Columbus, uh, I used to, my friend and I who was not a Christian, we did this thing um, called Knock Five, which was basically a monthly hip hop event um, just for anybody in Ohio. You could come and like we'd get a few performers and at the end there'd be a freestyle session and people would just hang out. And the people, the young adults from my small group at my church at the time, we would pray beforehand, and I would invite a group of them to be the ones that were helping set up and tear down. And I've some of the most miraculous encounters with God. I'm talking about people getting uh, set free from demons people being embraced and crying and confessing of drug mm. abuse or whatever happened in those moments just because there, were, there was light in a place yeah. where there yep. would not be light. Yeah. Now that's not everybody's calling, right? Like you, yours might be a different scenario or situation. Right. Um, but I saw some beautiful things happen in that place because that's, these people, A, would likely never come to church. Yeah. Uh, so we had to bring the church and just be the church to, for them, you know? Um, and then the last thing I'll say is, is simply make love the agenda, I think today, especially today, in such a post-Christian quote-unquote society, uh, non-Christians or skeptics, they can just smell an agenda. You know, they can smell this guy's just being nice to me because he wants me to come to church, or he wants something from me, Um, and. There's obviously a time to preach, to be forthright and to just preach the gospel to someone, you know, we have nothing to be ashamed of. The gospel is the power of life and salvation. It is hearing the gospel that sets people free and fills hearts with faith. But I think, uh, some of us, we, we still think we live in like 1785, where you could just like, <laughs> you know, get up on a park bench and just start preaching. And like, everybody's going to like, I don't think it works that way in America as much anymore. Yeah. Uh, And so just being loved to people, whether that's at the coffee shop in that local place or just the people you work with on a daily basis or one person in your neighborhood, one household that you say, we're just going to love them. We're going to volunteer to cut their grass or we're just going to bring them cooking, whatever it looks like, make it a relational thing in which you are a person because of your faith that they can come to and trust um, that you will be responsible, faithful there for them in their moment of need. You know, yeah, yeah. Um, And that might lead to preaching the gospel might lead to them coming to church. But I just like to think of how often our relationship with God looks like that, where we submit continually and maybe even finally to his goodness and love and authority out of a place of well-deserved trust, because he was the one that was there for us when we needed him. He was faithful when nobody else was. And so... Yeah. I just think we just kind of overlook that simple, um, almost like superpower that a Christian has is just to, to do that agape love in action to just yeah. be love for the sake of love.
0: Yeah. So. Absolutely. No, that is, that is so good. I think you're, you're so right. And I think that's just, you know, can be freeing. It doesn't have to be, you know, living on mission, wherever you are, it shouldn't be intimidating there are going to be times like you said that it, It is scary um, and it feels like you're taking a risk and yet, man, the reward of just stepping out in faith
1: Mm -hmm. and
0: stepping out in love and watching God, it's, it's his work. I mean, God is a God that is on mission. And it, it, it's not our job to save the world. He's the one doing it. like we have the joy, the privilege of being a part of what he's doing. yeah and and you know, our obedience in so many ways is the the, the platform on which God performs. And mm-hmm. when we step out and obey and take that risk, whether we're we're fearful or not, like God shows up and like you're saying, just does some amazing things sometimes and and all, and sometimes he he does things. Um, a week down the road, or three years down the road, or ten years down the road. Sometimes we don't yeah. see the immediate result or reward of stepping out in faith and living on mission, and yet God is faithful and calls us to be faithful. And I just love that. I think about the different ways. You know, I think you've given just some great practical ways to do, to do that. And and I just I. Think about some of the, the, those ways that, that we have tried to do that in our own neighborhood or community yeah. since moving up here. And we've I love your example of, of shopping at the same store. Mm-hmm. You know? And as you guys know, we, we've done that at a local grocery store and we would go to the same checkout line and we build a relationship with with one of the girls uh, who is a, uh, was a college student uh, there at the local grocery store. And she ended up inviting us to our, we- to her wedding. Right. And so we got to know, and just things like that, where, you know, God opens doors or neighbors, um, you know, that, that have lost a loved one. I, I can think of, of one neighbor who they lost a son shortly after birth and
1: mm. just
0: sometimes just stepping out. I remember standing in his, in, in his front yard and praying for he and his wife just simple things like that, or, or you know, I have a neighbor that I'll go and, and bring his garbage in every day because he and his wife work, and it's just one yeah. less thing that I don't want have to have him to think about when he comes home. He's got kids, and I just thought, what well, if I can just ease his load when he comes home after a long day? Um, wow. th- that's a simple thing I can do, and and there's so many ways I don't do it right, but I, I just um, all that to say uh, resonate with so many of those practical, simple ways that that you're talking yeah. about. And so I think you're, you're so right. And, and um, so I just love that. And you guys have done an extraordinary job of that. You uh, have practiced what, what you preach and have just seen God um, work in, in pretty powerful ways in, in your life and can think of, of lots of different people. I could list by name, but I, but I won't uh, hear that God has used you guys to, he's worked through you guys uh, to reach mm-hmm. and in some cases come to faith for the first time and in some cases come back to faith. Yeah, and so I just praise God for for your courage and faithfulness um, in that area. And again, in a season where it would have been t- you know pretty easy for you guys to come to Ann Arbor and sort of check in and check out, you know, three years later, and so mm-hmm. you guys have really modeled that well, I, I think, for uh, for folks in our local community. So I hope that um, again, uh, folks will go and they'll follow you on Instagram, go to our our website, and and check out. Uh, his full bio, David's full bio. And um, again, I- I'd love for those that are listening to to um, check out our, our church website, therefugechurch.org or gracea2.org. And you can listen to some of David's messages in uh, mm-hmm. both of those sites there. And uh, we just believe in you. We love you guys and are so grateful for you. And just to appreciate our conversation today. I know it will be a great encouragement to those that are listening. And so thank you again for your time.
1: Yeah, we love you guys and thank you uh, so much for inviting me on today.
0: Yeah, you bet. Well, as always, um, you can go to our show notes on RootLikeFaith.com forward slash podcast. Again, you can see David's full bio there and find out how to follow him. Uh, you can also follow us on Instagram at Patrick W. Schwenk and Ruth schwank or on Facebook. And as if we don't say it enough already, we are just so thrilled. We're so grateful that you are joining us and we welcome you into our family here at Root Like Faith. And so be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts so that you don't miss an episode.